Well, I want to extend Christian greetings to each this morning. God bless you all for being here. I did enjoy the Sunday school hour very much, and I thought we could have probably just shut down after that and been okay. I'd have been okay with that. But um, the Lord did lay a message on my heart. And as I thought about the message and as I was preparing, and the thought struck me this morning, I'm not sure I'm qualified to preach this message. But God called me to preach it, and so I plan to do so. And then I was thinking about God's word and the, you know, the, the velocity of God's word, the meaning of God's word. And, you know, God has entrusted that word to man, to us. He has given us that word. And this morning, we've, we're handling that word this morning. In the devotional, in the Sunday school class, we handled God's word. And now again this morning, we're handling God's word. And... So I believe that God has entrusted that to his people to look at his word to see what he has in there for us. So the title of the message this morning is, Hath God Said? That's a question mark. And do we live in an age, well actually no, we probably, it's probably been since the dawn of time, that people are taking God's word and, it, and they're using it to mean things it doesn't mean. And they're breaking it down so it's not, as, it's not as powerful as when it was written. They're using God's word in vain sometimes. I've heard Christian, professing Christian people use God's word in vain. I was uh, having a conversation with a man the other day. I don't forget which day of the week it was. And he's a professing Christian. And he was relating to something that he's going to be doing that day. And he said, I don't like doing that. He said, it's living hell to do that. Is that the words of a Christian? Or is that a lack of, him, of his understanding of the velocity of God's word? I wasn't quite sure what to do with that, but that's the comment that he made. And maybe I should have stepped up and said, do you realize what you just said? But I didn't, uh, I didn't step up to plate. Hath God said, the title of the message comes from Genesis chapter 3. If you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to end up there here after a while. God gave our first set of parents a, a, a shall I say, a strict set of rules here. I wouldn't say that. He only gave them one thing that they were not supposed to do. Okay? He said, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. It was all theirs to have. At their discretion. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. And if you do, what was going to happen? They're going to die. And I don't think that's that hard to understand, is it? And, and I, like to, I like to understand when he said, For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, it meant that they became mortal. Okay, I think up to that time, I don't think Adam and Eve aged. Okay, I think, I think they, were, they were created, and they just lived it in age. But they became mortal after that day. Okay? And there may be a different thought process on that, but I believe that is the day that man became a mortal being. And I believe this morning that Adam and Eve understood that command. I think they understood it, and I think they, and I, and I think they obeyed for quite some time. Now, I don't know how long they obeyed. Was it two weeks? 
Was it two months? Was it two years? Was it 200 years? We don't know that. And that is irrelevant. That is irrelevant. But if God puts something in front of us and says that we're not to touch it, what is the best thing to do? To get up close to it and camp out around it and look at it? No, it's to stay as far away from possible as, 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 let me start over, stay as far away from it as possible. And I, I think that's exactly what they did for a while, for a while. They obeyed till they were tempted, then they fell. So I want to entertain five questions this morning. The first question is, how did this happen? Question number two. Were Adam and Eve, were they convinced God had their best interest in mind? Were Adam and Eve convinced that God had their best interest in mind? Number three, were they convinced God's way was right? Obviously not. Number four, Adam and Eve had the whole garden to enjoy. They could have everything they wanted. Why did they even bother looking at the one thing they were not supposed to touch? And number five, do we today need to wait till we are tempted to see if we will fail or not? It's a valid question. God told Adam and Eve, not only were they not to eat it, but they were not to touch it. So when did Eve sin? It all started when she listened to the serpent. She, reached, she looked at the tree, she reached out, she touched it. The sin was happening all along there. So Genesis 3, we notice here how the serpent came to Eve. And I want to notice another thing here. Eve, when the serpent came to her, he was, she was not shocked or she was not afraid. What does that tell us? Well, I don't believe it was uncommon that the animals and humans interacted. It was a little different than it was today, okay? A lot different. Eve was not in shock when the serpent came to her. Uh, in verse 1, he said to the woman, Yeah, hath God said... By the way, there's a, question, there's a question for our title this morning. Hath God said, okay? Notice how Satan came to Eve. He came to her in a kind, gentle way. He didn't come up to her and say, listen, I, want, I, mean, I, know, I, know, I know you think you know what God told you, but that's not really what he said. He came to her in a kind, gentle way. He said, yeah, hath God said you should not eat of every tree of the garden. Today we might break that down in today's language and say, did God really tell you you may not have anything you want here in this garden? He was very kind about it. Okay? He was very kind about it. Verse 2, we have the woman's response. We have Eve's response. And, Eve, and the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Okay? She had that knowledge. And the woman's, I'm sorry, in verse 3, But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, Thou shalt not touch it nor eat of it, lest ye shall surely die. So she, her response was correct. And what, what, what's, what is the serpent's, the serpent's response or Satan's response? Well, he breaks in and says, you won't die. Okay? He didn't say, you know, you misunderstood God. He didn't say that. He went along with her. He said, yeah, but you're not, you're not going to die. For God does know that in the day you touch it, your eyes are going to be open. Okay? So apparently Adam and Eve also longed for wisdom the way we do today. I mean, if I could eat some kind of fruit and make me a wiser person, I probably would. And obviously Eve fell for that as well. See, Satan said, Satan said that God was holding back on them. He was not giving them a full cup. 
God's holding back you, Adam and Eve. He undermined God's word. Satan undermined God's word and caused Eve not to fear and not to heed God's warning like she had before. Up until that point, Eve took God's warning and she, she heeded it. She didn't touch it. But now she began, now Satan came in and began to undermine it. He went on to say God's holding back. And you know what Eve did? It began to make sense to her because she began to think on it. Think on it. The wheels in her mind started turning. She said, you know what? It makes perfect sense. God does not want us to be like him. Yeah, you know what? You must be right. He's holding back on us. It began to make perfect sense. She looked at the tree. Remember the question asked? If God tells us to stay away from something, what do we do? Get as close as we possibly can? No, we stay as far away from we can, as we can. Too many times I think we get too close. To see how close we can get without getting burned. Eve began to look at it. It looked good. Okay? I believe the forbidden fruit this morning was a good-looking, luscious-looking fruit. You know, we see, we see pictures today of an apple tree. I don't know if it was an apple. I have no idea what it was. We don't know, and it doesn't matter. But I don't believe it was some Osage orange-looking fruit, okay? You know what Osage orange fruit looks like, okay? It looks rather ugly. I don't think that's... I think it was good, good fruit to look at. And she looked at it. It looked good. Furthermore, it would make her wise. What did she do? She studied it, and the Bible tells us that she took the fruit, and she took, she took the fruit and ate it and gave, gave also unto Adam, which was with her. I better read that um, to get that right. She saw the tree was good. It was pleasant to the eye, desired to make one wise. She took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So the sin is committed there in verse 6. The sin that changed the course of the entire world. The sin that changed the course of the entire world. So the question again, how did it happen? Satan put doubt in Eve's mind. Okay? Up until that point, Adam and Eve, they were going about their business, and uh, God, had given them, God had given them instruction. They were listening to it. Along came Satan, put doubt in her mind, and she began to think on it. And I guess Adam as well. I don't know. So the Bible doesn't tell us where Adam was. But it does say here in verse 6, she gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So I think Adam was close by. We do know that the conversation between Satan and Eve happened between those two. We know that. I don't think Adam was too far away. He, he had his part to play as well. Satan caused Adam and Eve not to fear God on the level that they had before. And you know, that breakdown's been happening all through the ages. People are, not called, people are not fearing God on the level that they should. They use God's word, but they don't use it to full capacity. People don't believe God's word is as authoritative as what it is. I think Satan is using the very same tactics today as he used back then. He's just undermining God's word. He's putting questions in your mind. He's putting doubts in your mind. In my mind, did God really mean what he said? Hath God said Instead of working through a serpent, he's working through people. Have you ever had people that came to you and say, why do you do all the things that you're doing? I've had that happen to me. People who've left the conservative circles and come back said, why do you do, the conversation had, why do you do what you do? You know you don't have to do all that. You know you don't have to do all that garbage that's been referred to as garbage, okay? You don't have to do all that. You know, and I don't know what all I don't know what all he was referring to, but uh, his lifestyle was of such that I would have questioned where he was at. 
He wondered if I knew I didn't have to do what I'm doing. You know, we hear things like God is a loving God. You know, and God would never bring judgment. My God would never bring judgment against me. You know, God is a loving God. He is. He extends his arm of grace to us, and it's up to us what to do with it. You know, back in Noah's day, I'm going to read a few verses here out of Matthew chapter 24. Back in Noah's day, what happened when the people were living life as if there was no God to fear? Matthew 24, verse 37 says this, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also come the Son of Man be. For as in, as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them away. So also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. The same way it is today. Did the people of Noah's day, did they have any warning? Yes, they did. They had forewarning. They had fair warning. God, uh, the Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. I believe, as God, I believe as Noah was building the ark, he was using that to preach to people. And as he had opportunity, I believe he was speaking to people about the condemnation that's coming. Question number two. Were Adam and Eve convinced that God had their best interest in mind? Were they fully convinced of that? Obviously not, or they wouldn't have looked for more. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you fully convinced that God has your best interest in mind in your life? Or do you ever doubt that God has your best interest in mind? Maybe you never thought about that. Maybe you never thought about God having your interest in mind. But I can guarantee this morning that God has got your best interest in mind in no matter what you're going through. It is of God has your best interest in mind because he wants you for his kingdom. Adam and Eve, I believe, they lived that way until Satan came along and began to undermine that thought. They said, oh, you know what? God's holding back on us. It makes good sense. Look at the tree. It's beautiful. Why would God have given us a whole garden, but I can't have that tree? Boy, that makes perfect sense. And you know what happened when they took that fruit? Their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. Yes, as Satan said, your eyes will be open, right? Satan speaks the truth sometimes, but it's always, it's always with intent to deceive. Their eyes were opened, and they knew what they did. Think of all, thinking on this question, think of all that Adam and Eve had. There was a perfect setting. There was no weeds in the garden. There was no sin. They were able to communicate with God in the cool of the day, the Bible says. Now, how much better could somebody want it than that? But, you know, I guess Adam and Eve were just like you and I are today. No matter what we have, no matter how much we have of this world's good, we always think it'd be fun to have a little bit more. It'd be good to have just a little bit more. We're never quite satisfied. We always want more. I think Satan was able, with that thought, to convince them that God did not have their best interest in mind. Yeah, they had a lot of stuff to be thankful for, but there's more. There's more to be had. And so therefore he worked on them on that, from that angle. He was, Satan was able to convince Adam and Eve that God did not have their best interest in mind and was holding back on them. So I want to ask, you, I want to ask us a question again this morning. Are we firmly convinced that no matter what we're going through, it is for our good? It is for our good, one way or the other. We don't always see it. Matter of fact, we hardly ever see it. When we're going through a valley, we don't see it. But we need to be convinced it's for our good. 
things in life we're facing, the trials you're going through, the temptations you find yourself fighting against. Therefore, you're good. They're to strengthen us. You know, if we're not fully convinced this morning that God has our best interest in mind, and if we're fighting battles that we think we're barely gaining ground on, and if we're not convinced that God is doing it for our good, then we're easy targets for the devil. Real easy targets. Doesn't take long to become discouraged. Doesn't take long till we feel, you know what, I'm alone in this. Nobody ever fights battles like I do. You know, that's a lie from Satan. I can guarantee you, no matter what battle you've been through, if you're brave enough to talk to your brother, talk to your sister, they've been through something fairly similar. Satan likes to convince us that we are all alone. Don't talk to anybody. You don't want anybody to know what you're going through. It's embarrassing. Okay? Don't fall for it. God, in his infinite wisdom, knows what you and I will need to make it through life victoriously. Okay? God knows that. And so he allows those things to come to strengthen us. Yes, they're not pleasant. Yes, they're not fun. But when we go through that, if we are honest with ourselves and we look back, we come out the other side a better person than we went in. God knows what we need. With those uh, couple of thoughts here, I'm going to turn, I want to turn to uh, James chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. I just want to read a couple of verses. James chapter 1 says this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let patience have her perfect work. You know, as we're going through trials, have you ever asked God for patience? Are you brave enough to pray, to, are you, are you brave enough to pray that God would bring you trials to make you patient? Okay? Be careful when you, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But when you go through trials, it creates patience because you're waiting on God. James says that's okay. When patience, when, when you're tried, we become perfect. Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles, I'm going to turn down and read a couple of verses there. I think it's a wonderful testimony here. Uh, Peter and the apostles were teaching, they were preaching. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. They were preaching, they were teaching, they were doing God's work. They were doing exactly what God called them to do. And what happened to them? They were beaten for it. Okay, God called them to go preach the word. They did it, they were beaten for it. Now this morning, I have no fear this morning that you're going to come up here and beat me for preaching. I have no fear of that. But see, that, that, was, that was reality in their day. And they were preaching God's word and they were beaten for it. And what happened? Verse 40. And when they had agreed, when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should speak not in the name of Jesus. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to preach and teach Jesus Christ. It did not de detour them at all. They rejoiced in it, and they went right back out and did it again. They knew that God had their best interest in mind. They were convinced. If they would not have been convinced that this was from God, they'd have said, you know what? Forget this. We're going to go back to our jobs again. That's not what they did. In Matthew chapter 5, I'm not going to turn there for the sake of time, Jesus told us to be joyful when we face persecution. And that's exactly what Paul and the apostles were. Paul and Silas were in prison. They were in shackles. What did they do? They sang praises at midnight, and God opened up the prisons, the prison doors. 
What would have happened if Paul and Silas that night would have sat in there and felt sorry for themselves? Say, God, we did, we did what you asked us to do, and here we are. Oh, poor me. Would God open the prison doors for them that night? I don't know. We, don't have, the, we, we have the history that he did. But we have the history that they, they sang and they prayed and God opened up the doors. They were convinced that God had their best in mind. Question number three, were they convinced God's way was right? Were they convinced God's way was right? Obviously not, or they would not have chosen a different route. They chose a different way. God gave them specific instructions what would happen. He gave them, let me back up. He gave them specific instructions what to do and what would happen if they disobeyed. And they still did it. We could say that was so foolish. But what about you and I today? How often do you and I today, we have God's word, we've got the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we know what's going to happen if we do certain things. But sometimes we find ourselves doing it. Why? Because of human nature, because of our enemy. That is why. Satan, come, Satan came along and offered Adam and Eve a different way. And they took it. Satan comes along sometimes and offers us a different way. And sometimes we take it. Sometimes we take it. You know, we can look at the account and we can think how foolish God instruct, God's instructions were so simple. But you know what? We have God's word today and it's simple. I like using the term, I like using the term with God's word, God expects simple obedience. It's not that hard to do. It's not hard at all. The gospel is not complicated. Oh, yeah, there's things in the Bible that are a little hard to understand. I, understand, I know that. But the gospel is written that an average fifth or sixth grader can easily understand it. And I think most of us adults here are of that level or greater. Are we convinced God's way is right? And we would say, well, yeah, well, sure, we're convinced God's way is right. Well, then are we living like we believe it? Are we living in such a way that other people say and see that God's way is right for his life, for his or her life. Hath God said that we need to live above sin? Yes, he did. Hath God said that we need to? He did say that. The Bible talks about sins such as adultery, fornication, theft, murders. It says that we need to stay away from those things. And the Bible also talks about the kind of person that we should be. Galatians 5, chapter, Galatians 5, 19. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. That's God's word. How are we doing in that? Have we crucified the affections and the lusts in our minds? See, every sin that's ever been committed from the foundation of the world has come into the mind first. People say things like, well, I, I didn't think, I just did it. I never thought about it. Well, yeah, you did. You thought about it, okay? And I understand some people are a lot more impulsive than the people are. And I know we have to be careful. But what we think about on a regular basis is what we're going to become. That's what's going to come out. Were they convinced God's way was right? Are you and I convinced God's way is right? You know, we talked about, we talked about uh, you know, all these sins, adultery, fornication, murder, theft. You'd say we'd never take part in those things. You know, I've never been tempted to kill anybody. I've never had that temptation, okay? 
I've never, I've never, never been tempted. But you know what I've been tempted to do? I've been tempted to be angry with somebody. As a matter of fact, I've been angry with people. I've been tempted to hate people. I've been tempted to hold grudges. Okay? Maybe you're never tempted in that way. I hope you're not. But I've been tempted to hold grudges against people. And I've been tempted when I see somebody coming that I just want to make a little detour, you know, so I don't cross paths with them. Is there anything wrong with that? I mean, I should feel like talking to them, right? I mean, maybe next Sunday I will. It's not okay. It's not okay to detour because you want to talk to your brother or sister in the church. You know, I've attended conservative men at church my whole life. And I very much appreciate what they stand for. But I've noticed, I've been in several different men at churches from where I grew up to where I am today, and I've noticed one thing in every church I was a part of. That is, we all, we all struggle with this thing of getting along with each other God's way. Because we all have human natures. We all have, you know, we're, we're, we, all, we all have an abrasive side. If nobody's ever told you that, I'm going to tell you that this morning. You have an abrasive side. Ask somebody, if you don't think you do, ask somebody else. If you're married, ask your wife. Ask your husband. You have an abrasive side that comes out sometimes that is hard for some people to accept. But you know what? I want you to accept me. I need to accept you. We all have that side that is not quite as likable and lovable as what we think as what we think we are. The Bible does not give us room to avoid to avoid each other. The Bible does not give us room to hate each other. The Bible gives us room to bring love. This is a message you have heard from the beginning, 1 John 3:11 that you we should love one another. 1 John 3:15 says, "Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer." And no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. I said I never was tempted to kill anybody. But if I'm tempted to hate somebody, or if I'm tempted to be angry with somebody and I don't forgive them for something they did against me, what's that going to turn into? It's going to turn into unforgiveness and hate. It's going to, well, it is unforgiveness. It's going to turn into hate. And the Bible says whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Okay? So where does that put me? I think it's clear. Hath God said we need to have love for one another? Yes, he did. And we believe that. I think we'd all say this morning we believe it. If I'd ask you this morning individually, do you believe that God said we should have love one for you? You'd all say yes. Do you live it? Do we live it? Do I live it? The Bible clearly says if we hate, we are murderers. How far are you willing to go in your love for your brother? How far are you willing to go? Oh, if we cross paths, I'll talk to him, but I'm not going out of my way for him. Is that enough? Is that good enough? I think it's beyond that. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth to the Spirit unto the unfeigned love of the brethren, see ye love one another pure heart fervently. That's a high calling right there. To love one another pure heart fervently. God has fervent love for us. Not sure I can explain that this morning. We're supposed to have fervent love one for another. And that would mean that no matter what my brother or sister does against me, I'm going to put that behind me and let that between them and God. I'm going to love them just the same. It's easier said than done. Okay? And the people who are the closest to you, 
are the people who can rub you the wrong way the easiest. So be careful with that. It's a situation that I am talking about loving each other in the church and the brotherhood. It's a situation that I, was, that, I, that I became aware of in another state. So don't even try to figure out who it was or which church it was from because you'd never do it. But a situation became a familiar with through a source, and there was a uh, family that had a number of children, and they fell on hard times, and they did not have enough to support, they enough of food to support their family. They were getting by. They couldn't, they couldn't provide meat for the family. They could provide some other food, but they were not providing hardly enough. It was known to the church that there was needs there, in my understanding. But nobody stepped up to plate to help them. Is that love from the brotherhood? The only reason I feel safe saying this morning, because it's, it's no involvement here whatsoever, and so I feel safe, and I'm not, you know, maybe, maybe it does sound like I'm speaking down in the church group, but I was just appalled when I heard about that. I said, where's the church? Why is nobody setting up something with the church saying, let's be taking meals in and let's be doing something for these people? The church did nothing, is my understanding. May that never be said of us here. If, somebody, if a brother or sister falls on hard times, are we there? It's the love of the brotherhood. Loving one another fervently. If we have enough, 1 John, read what it says here in 1 John about our goods. 1 John 3, chapter, um, 1 John 3, verse 16, shall we say. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he has laid down his life for us. Okay, so we understand God's love for mankind because God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That's easy for us to understand, right? So if we perceive that love. We understand that love. Now he turns it around. But whoso hath this world's good. Actually, let me back up. Because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our life for the brethren. Okay, I missed that. That's, that's important. We ought, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What does it mean? Does it mean that I could die for you? That's not what it's talking about. Now he jumps into verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good, seeth his brother have need, and shut up with the bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? If I know there's a need, and I have the means to fill that need, and I do it not, that question is for me. How does the love of God dwell in me? Can I answer that question? It doesn't. If I know there's a need... In my church, if I know there's a need anywhere, I do nothing for it. God's love is not dwelling in my heart. Is that too harsh? That's what the Bible says. Question number four. Adam and Eve had the whole garden to enjoy. They could have anything they wanted. Why'd they bother even looking at the one thing they couldn't touch? It's a fair question, isn't it? Well, let's face it this morning. Let's say it exactly like it is. Forbidden fruit looks good. Forbidden fruit entices. If forbidden fruit was all ugly and gnarly and the results were written on the bottom of the sign that has these advertisements for alcohol and tobacco, if they would have a, a, a sign with alcohol, you know, the, the, these Budweiser signs you see on the road, if they have a sign right next to it showing the accident where five people were killed, because they were drinking and driving. If they'd have all that, if they'd have the, if they'd have the amount of money that the state spends every year on people who are incarcerated 
because of alcohol. <clears throat> it won't be near as tempting anymore, would it? But see, they don't put it there. It looks enticing. Forbidden fruit entices, it looks good. You know, it's not hard. It, it starts in little children. I mean, if you put the children in a, in a room and say they can have everything in the room that they want to play with, except you put something in a jar and put it up on the shelf, say, don't touch that jar. You can have the whole room full of toys. Don't touch that jar. What are they going to want to do all afternoon? They're going to know what's in that jar. Chances are they're going to go explore and see what's in it. See, us adults are not much different. We have so much today that God gave us of this world's good to enjoy. Why do we then sometimes look at the forbidden fruit and partake? It looks good. We're convinced it tastes good. We know it's wrong, but we look at it. We get as close as we can. You know, we get close to that edge and think, is it really as far down there as what they say it is? I think I can make it. Are we willing to take that risk? Far too often we are. We get close and close and closer. The Bible gives us clear instructions on how to handle these things. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee useful lusts. What does it mean to flee? It means to run away. When you are tempted, it says to run. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that have called the Lord out of a pure heart. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee fornication. Flee it. Don't get close. Don't go down the road that you know at the end of the road is that sin. Don't go down that road. There's steps that are taken to these sins. And if we can stop before we start, we're not going to fall. I guarantee it. Is that too bold to say? If you know the road that leads to sin, you don't go down that road. You're not going to fall into sin. I think it's a safe guarantee. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Take no part in it. If you know the end of the road, there's idolatry, don't go down. I mean, if, if, if I knew the road out here, this, this is 257, if I knew that at the end of this road, there'd be, there'd be a cliff that people drive off and drop, into, drop a thousand feet into a ravine, would I go driving up that road at 80 miles an hour? Of course not. I wouldn't even bother going on the road. Why would I want to go there? That'd be stupid. But people do it. People go down the road that they know leads to sin, that they know leads to all kinds of stuff the Bible tells them not to. I'm talking Christian people. But they think they're not going to fall. Somehow I'm going to be different. Somehow I'm going to be able to handle this sin and, not, and it's not, it's not, it's not going to stain me somehow. Somehow I'm going to be able to look at that and it's not going to cause me to trip. Somehow I think I'm going to be able to, to partake and it's not going to be me. I know a lot of the people fall be have fallen before me, but it's not going to be me. The verses I read have all the same message. Flee from sin. Get away from it. Don't get close to it. Don't hang around look at it. You know, if Eve, when Satan told her about the fruit, he asked her about it. He asked her about the tree, and she answered correctly. Okay? And if Satan told her, look, I mean, that, that's not, yeah, God told you that. We get that. However, here's, here's really what's going to happen. If she just said, you know what? I'll have nothing to do with it. I'm not looking at that tree. I looked at it yesterday. It looked good, and I was tempted to take it. I'm not doing it. If she had kept that in mind, we, we wouldn't have the stories. We have it. Now, 
Maybe the next people would have, I don't know what would have happened on down the line. I don't know. But we have the story as we have it, or we have the Bible as we have it. But, you know, if the first step towards falling into sin is letting our minds go there, right? We look at it. That's what happened to Eve. If you don't want to fall in sin, don't go there. Okay? It's that simple. Don't go down that road. You want to put Satan on the run in your life? Away from you? You want to put Satan on the run in your life? Okay, it's not all that hard. It's not all that hard. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Satan cannot stand up to God. Okay? It's written in, in God's word. He can't. Standing and looking at forbidden fruit is not resisting the devil. Standing and looking at forbidden fruit is resisting God. Okay? If we stand and look at forbidden fruit, we are inviting Satan. Submission to God's word is something the devil cannot handle. Okay? That is why the Bible says, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We take on the armor of God by believing the word. Okay? That's, first, that's, the, that's, that's step number one. And then living it. Just, just to understand it's not enough. You can have all the knowledge you want about God's word, but if, it does not, if, it's, if it's not transferred from here to here, it's no good. I've said before, a lot of people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. That is about, about, about on an average person from your head to your heart. A lot of people have a lot of knowledge of Scripture. I, was, uh, I had joined Gospel Express for prison crusades for three years in a row back in, I think it was 2002, 3, and 4. And that was a very stretching experience. But I met a lot of people who were behind bars that had a wonderful knowledge of God's word. They could quote scripture after scripture after scripture. Put me to shame how they knew their Bible. But you know what? They didn't live it. They knew it. They memorized it. But they didn't live it. Not all of them. It's, I'm, I'm not painting with a broad brush. There's some very godly men behind bars. They found God behind bars. There's men in there that said, if God wouldn't have put me in here, I'd be dead. Drug dealers and et cetera. So it doesn't matter how well we know it. doesn't mean we shouldn't know it, okay? But are we applying it to our lives? Are you applying it to your situation that you're in today? The choice is yours. Submission to God's word, I'm sorry, submission to God is something the devil cannot handle. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, God gave us lots of good things to enjoy. All he's asking for is one thing. It's obedience to him. It's not that hard. Stay away from the forbidden fruit, God said. Number five, question number five. Do we need to wait till we are tempted to see if we will fall or not? Do you need to wait this morning to be tempted with a certain sin to know if you will fall or not? And the answer to that is no. You need, to wait till you're, you, you need to wait till you're tempted. When Daniel was taken captive in a strange land, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. And whatever all sin was over there in the, in the strange land. If you and I today purpose in our hearts that we're not going to be defiled, you're not going to fall. You can, you, 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 you can rest assured on that. When Joseph was tempted with a woman that not belonged to him, what did he do? He ran. He even left his coat. He ran. See, that's what you call fleeing. 
I believe this morning that if we do not purpose in our hearts that we're not going to go down the road, we're easy targets for Satan again. We've got a purpose in our hearts. It's not boastful to do that, not at all. The Bible says there and uh, talks about the evil day coming, whether we've done all to stand. And I thought about what is the evil day? What is the evil day? It's the day that we're tempted. It's the time we're living in right now today. How do we prepare for that? We take on the whole armor of God. That means we need to have a knowledge of God's word. We're reading it. We're studying it. We're going to church. We're having a Sunday school class. And on top of that, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have a vibrant prayer life. Can you be a good soldier for God without having a vibrant prayer life? I should think not. Taking on the whole armor of God means we anticipate a battle. Are you anticipating a battle next week? You should be. You know, when a country goes to war with another country, they prepare for what they know could come. That's a battle. They strategize. They think about how we're going to fight this. We've got to outsmart the other country. And so they strategize, they prepare. You and I, this morning, we need to strategize and prepare. Okay? We need to strategically prepare our defense and our offense. And by the way, as a Christian, we don't always need to be on the defense. We can be on the offense as well. If we as Christians are always on the defense, if we're just always just, just trying to hold back, just trying, we're not making it rare. We can be offensive. We can move forward. I know sometimes it feels like we're not doing that. Our battle we're fighting today is way more important than the battle a country will fight against each other. And the battle we're fighting this morning, we're fighting against an enemy that we can win with God's help. By yourself, you won't, okay? With God's help, we can win. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Ephesians 5, 16. The term redeeming here means to rescue from loss. Redeeming the time. Rescuing from loss, okay? As much as possible, we counteract the evil of our time. The days are evil. There's a lot of opportunity to sin. The opportunity to sin is everywhere. There's forbidden trees everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's forbidden fruit. There's plenty. There's a lot of opportunity to sin. We're to rescue the time from what? How? We fill the time by doing things that are pleasing to God, things that edify, things that make for peace. It's a choice we have. It's up to us. We don't hold grudges. We don't hate. We, we, we forgive. We're kind and compassionate. We do things for others. We help others. Redeeming the time simply means we choose to live godly lives. James 1.16 says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't make any mistakes. Do not err. Don't go, don't, don't go down that road. This verse makes it clear that it's my choice. I need to choose not to err. I look to God for help. God gives me help, but I need to make that choice. It's up to me. Do I want God's help or don't I? His help is available if we want it. God's going to help me, but he's not going to force me. So in conclusion, the question again, hath God said? Yes, God hath said, and he meant it. Shall we have a song?